If she isn't, I am. I'm glad he took our presents. What? I... Well, I... I'm glad. He's glad. You're glad. You're glad everything is... is gone. <laughs> You're glad that the Grinch virtually wrecked... No, 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 not wrecked. Pulverized Christmas. Is that what I'm hearing from you, Lou? You can't hurt Christmas, Mr. Mayor. Because it isn't about the, the gifts or the contests or the fancy lights. That, that's what Cindy's been trying to tell everyone. And me. He's been trying to tell me. What is wrong with you? This is a child. She's my child. And she happens to be right, by the way. I don't need anything more for Christmas than this right here. My family. Merry Christmas, everybody! Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, you hunk of burning who? Okay, is that not one of the best Christmas movie scenes of all time in my view? I mean, come on, you can't stop Christmas from coming. It came. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the giving or the receiving. It's actually about who you're celebrating it with. And I hope you are here still enjoying the fact you celebrated Christmas with the people you're sitting next to. Well, some of you are. That's good. Uh, I just, I just love that scene. Now, if you don't know, the history of that movie is basically this. The Dr. Zeus uh, basically came up with the idea of the Grinch, and it was published as an illustrated poem in a magazine in 1955. He worked, Dr. Zeus, on the, the story for the Grinch that stole Christmas over the next few years, and it wasn't finished until 1957. Now, Dr. Zeus said the inspiration for the character, the Grinch, was actually himself. He was struggling with the illness of his wife. He was struggling with the commercialization of Christmas. And he said that on December the 26th, he woke up feeling rather Grinzish in his words. Now, I don't even know whether I said that right, because the word is weird when you look at it. And so he said he wrote The Grinch That Stole Christmas to kind of deal with the mess that he was in. So he wrote the story of The Grinch to get him out of the mess he was feeling on December the 26th one year. Now, you may be in a completely different spot. Some of you may be in a very similar spot. But the truth is, if we're honest, at some point in time, whether it's today or whether it's any other day of the year, we're more gringish than we probably should be or even than we would expect to be. And the central truth of that movie is simple. Christmas is not about the gifts we give or the gifts we receive. It's actually about what we're giving and receiving for and who we are celebrating with. That's the essential heart of that story. 
And so what I want to do today is, is kind of round, uh, rounding up and kind of winding down this Christmas season as we start to think about 2022. I, I just want to catapult us into this next season by offering a, a few thoughts about Christmas and about life itself. And the first thought that comes to me from watching that movie is simply this. Gifts that we give and we receive remind us of what our true joy is. They should remind us of what our real joy is. I want to take you back to the, the first Christmas to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2 and in verse 11, we read of the first gifts exchanged at Christmas. It was the gifts of the wise men uh, to Jesus. A lot is made of the spiritual significance of those gifts. The gold, people say, remind us of Christ's royalty. The incense, that reminds us of his divinity. The myrrh, that reminds us of his suffering and of his burial. A lot is made of the spiritual significance of those gifts. Truthfully, if you read about the giving of those gifts in the context of the story, they're not spiritual in their orientation in the context of the story. They're actually fundamentally practical. You know what happens after the giving of gifts, right? King Herod figures out that he's being tricked by the wise men, mobilizes his troops from his fortress, which is right outside the city of Bethlehem, and sends them into Bethlehem to murder infants under the age of two. Now, the population of Bethlehem at that point in time wasn't that large, so you're probably talking of somewhere between 10, maybe 20 males. But the reality is the gifts that the wise men gave were actually fundamentally practical in purpose. They actually served to fund the excursion into Egypt and the living expenses while they were in Egypt. We focus on the spiritual nature of the gifts, but in reality, in the context of the story, their purpose is far more practical than that. <laughs> Let's have some fun with this a second. How many of you got stick because your gifts were practical this year? I, I spoke to one guy this week who said to me, hey, I don't even want to tell you what I got from my wife because even though she likes it, you look at it and go, you did what? How many of us get stick for practical gifts? Well, guys, the next time somebody gives a stick for the practical gifts that we give, remind them that the gifts ever exchanged in the first Christmas story were actually practical. Now, the problem with this is if your spouse doesn't like the gift you gave and they'll learn it from Scripture, they will point out that the Costco gloves you bought her fade into insignificance in comparison to the Armani-like gifts that the wise man gave Jesus, right? <laughs> exactly. But the fact is... Uh, the fact is, the first gifts were really practical in nature. See, what we discover from the story is that the wise men came to visit Jesus. They saw Mary, they saw Joseph. The gifts they exchanged actually symbolized and emphasized the fact that they were there for him and for him alone. Their gifts actually expressed their greatest joy, and that was being with Jesus. 
In the same way, the gifts we give need to remind us of our greatest joy. It's not in the value of the gifts themselves. It's actually in the people that we're celebrating it with. It's actually in the person that we're celebrating it for, Jesus. Now, some of us, that's a, a really good thing because, let's be honest, some of us are pretty lousy at buying gifts, aren't we? It, if the value of, of gift giving was actually in the gift itself, some of us would be in a whole load of trouble. I read about a, a girl who recently finished college whose father was absolutely disastrous at buying gifts. One year while she was in college, he bought her a Barbie jewelry box. Yes, a Barbie jewelry box, bright pink with green. She looked at it and said, gee, thanks, Dad. Gave it to her mother and said, wrap it and give it to my nieces. Right? It, it was just a, a useless gift. She said, despite all of the effort I give to give my father hints and, and, and give him kind of direction, and they're not even extravagant gifts, he just doesn't follow the hint. She said, guess what he got me last year? A masquerade mask and an elf mug. I'm sure she must have been, he must have been listening to Corey's sermon from Friday. Uh, some of us are just not very good at buying gifts. We're just not good at it at all. In the movie The Grinch, the Grinch actually, when he appears in town, actually reminds Whoville that their gifts usually end up with him in the garbage tip. See, there's a temporal nature to the gifts that we exchange. Always has been. But whether our gifts are great in value, whether they're small in value, they need to emphasize our greatest joy. And our greatest joy is always the people we celebrate with and the reason we give the gift in the first place. You know, as much as I like receiving gifts, my greatest joy is actually seeing the joy on people's face, hopefully, when I choose the right gift. If you got your equivalent of a Barbie jewelry case this year, if it's an, in, an intentional attempt to put you in your place, shake it off. Read of one person who every year gets the gift of a $1 clearance item from Walmart with the price tag still on it. This is the attempt of the mother-in-law to put the daughter-in-law in her place because she wants that woman to realize that the son is still hers. Do you know what she does? She looks at it. She smiles at it because she realizes the greatest joy that she has, her relationship with Jesus, cannot be impacted by a person who tries to be a Grinch at Christmas. The only power Gringes have over you is the power you choose to give them. So if you are put in your place with a gift that you received this year, shake it off because God thinks you're incredibly valuable and so do the people you live among. And if you are one of those people who still get the Barbie jewelry box from your dad, don't give up hope. There's still hope for him yet. And even if he's still slow in learning what you truly like and what you truly need, love him anyway. You know why? Because God loves him, because you love him, and because you are together. There's one scripture I love whenever I encounter a circumstance like this. It's Psalm 107. It says this, let them, let us give thanks to the Lord. Why? 
for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Even if the people around us give us gifts that just don't satisfy, bless God, that he satisfies us and gives us good things. The gifts we receive remind us of our greatest joy. It's the people we celebrate with, and it's actually the God we celebrate who give us everything that we have. Joy is found in the right reason to celebrate at Christmas. Secondly, jumping from Matthew's gospel into Luke's gospel, into Luke chapter 2, we recognize that God's gift of joy actually satisfies us in every season. God's gift of joy satisfies us in every season. So in Luke chapter 2, uh, the, the shepherds come, they visit uh, visit. Uh, Jesus, Corey talked about that. And then Mary and Joseph, according to the cultural traditions of the day, have to have Jesus dedicated. And so they, they make the hike into the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him. And while they go into the temple, they meet two people. They meet a lady by the name of Anna, and they meet a man by the name of Simeon. Both of these people have been waiting there a very long time in the hope and expectation of meeting the Messiah. Simeon's words stand out here. And I just want to read those words from Luke chapter 2, verse 26. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, you can watch it on the screen. This is what we read. It had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Notice that word marvel. Mary and Joseph are amazed. They are astonished at what Simeon said. Now, to marvel is actually Luke's buzzword. Last weekend, I talked about how Matthew, it wasn't so much joy-filled, but perseverance-driven. Luke is all about joy. Marveling is one of his buzzwords. That it's used three times already up until this point, and it will be used another nine times in the rest of the gospel. To meet Jesus is to actually encounter joy itself. Everything sounds wonderful. Isn't it so easy to have joy when everything's going well? They marvel at this. But then Simeon says, hey, it's not always going to be like this. Let's read on and discover what he says next. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon talks about the stone. He talks about the sign. He talks about the sword. This Jesus would be a stone that the builders would reject. 
This child would be a sign that would be spoken against by the leaders and the people of influence at that point in time. Mary, it's not going to go as you would think. The reason, Simeon said, it is going to go this way is because when people hear the name Jesus, when people encounter the name Jesus, they are forced to make a decision. And while some will decide to uh, surrender, to repent, and to follow, many hearts will be revealed, and some hearts will decide to rebel and to kill Whenever you mention the name of Jesus, people are forced to make a decision, Simeon says. And some of these decisions are not going to be favorable. And in fact, the result of this will be that a sword will pierce your own soul. The joy you feel right now will not accompany you all of your life. Now, the word for sword here is actually of the Thracian spear. It's that long javelin. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word used for sword here is used for Goliath's sword when he was fighting against God's people. In other words, Luke is making it pretty clear that the moment where Jesus was on the cross, where that spear is thrust into his side, is the moment that Mary's heart broke. And in that moment, she realized the fulfillment of Simeon's words. Like Mary, I think there are seasons, there are times in our lives when all of us go through things where we feel like a sword is piercing our own soul. The reality is, even though God gifts us the gift of joy, we don't go through life without facing anxious, disturbing, and distressing moments. But it's precisely because God gives us the gift of joy that we can go through moments like this. It was French historian and Catholic church critic Voltaire who said, God gives us the gift of life, but it's up to us to give ourselves the gift of living well. I love that. God gives each and every one of us the gift of life. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you have the gift of life. But guess what? It is now up to you to, to, to discern what to do with the gift of life that you have been given. The Bible is pretty clear. For us to make the most of life in 2022, what we need to do is we need to receive the gift of joy. Because as Corey shared on Friday, happiness is dependent upon circumstances, but joy in the Bible is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And again, of all of the Gospels, Luke's Gospel is the one that emphasizes joy. In addition to marveling being used so many times, joy is as well. In Luke 15, for example, we read of the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And in every one of those parables, we read of the joyous response of the, of the Father and of the angels when the Son returns, when the coin is found, when the sheep is found. In Luke 19, we read of the joy that is experienced in heaven when one person receives salvation. 
It doesn't end there. In Acts, Luke talks about the joy that there is because salvation has been given to the Gentiles. Acts 8.8, 8, Acts 8.39, Acts 11.23, Acts 13.48, Acts 15.3. The joy is there throughout the entire story. And the joy is the good news that the angels actually give to the shepherds in the Christmas story. So when life isn't going well, we give ourselves the gift of living well when we receive God's salvation because that salvation comes with joy. The Bible teaches us that joy is not an emotion. It's actually a quality that is produced when we receive Jesus. It's produced that way because joy is dependent upon an encounter with Jesus. It's always been that way. Have a look at this, Psalm 16, verse 11. This is what the, the psalmist declares. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. How do we get joy? In his presence. Then there are eternal pleasures at his right hand. If Peter goes on and talks about this. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Joy is to be characteristic of our life on earth. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God's greatest gift to us is a gift of joy. We get that gift of joy when we encounter him. And when we encounter him, irrespective of whether we are going through the highs of life or the lows of life, we can go through it with joy because joy is found in his presence. That's how joy is found. Back to what Voltaire said. God has given each and every one of us the gift of life. But the challenge for us is, are we giving ourselves the gift of living well? Are we giving ourselves the gift of living well? Practically speaking, here's what living well, living in joy looks like, simply put, for you and for me. Firstly, to live well requires that we commit to joy even in hardship. Commit to joy even in hardship. Now this seems like a strange thought, but think about this. Have you noticed how brightly the stars shine in the dark? Have you noticed that? Vivka and I love the Flagstaff, Sedona area of Arizona. And I think Sedona prides itself on being, I think the term is a dark city. It basically means that it limits the amount of artificial light. And the reason it does that is because it wants everybody to be able to look up and to see the brightness of the stars. Do you know it's really difficult to see the stars when you're looking at your feet? The only way you're actually going to see the light of the stars is by lifting up your head. It's a choice to see the stars, whether you're able to see them or whether you are not. If God's role is to give us the gift of life, then our responsibility is to choose that gift. And we choose that gift even in difficult circumstances when we commit to joy. That, what, what does it look like? Lift up your head. What does the psalmist say? Lift up your head. Behold the salvation that has been given to you. 
It's hard to see the stars when you look at your feet. If you want to give yourself the gift of living well, lift up your head. Choose joy. Choose it. Lift up your head. Secondly, I think living well continues as we acknowledge what we have. In the clip that I chose from the Grinch movie, Cindy's dad says, you can't hurt Christmas because Christmas isn't about the gifts. And then he continues, I don't need anything more for Christmas than this right here, my family. Merry Christmas, everybody. And then all of a sudden, people start to celebrate and they start to hug. What's the point of that clip? The point is, when all of those things that seem to add value to life are stripped away, even in the pain of that moment, we can look around and we can actually celebrate what we have. Now, I'm saying that mindful of the fact that a number of people here are estranged, estranged from some members of your family. That's the challenge with holiday seasons. If you've watched the movie The Grinch, you realize that he is the way he is. Because that mayor, when he was a young boy, actually made fun of The Grinch. And it was actually the pain that he experienced at the hands of people that forced him away from the very people he was tormenting. It was his pain that forced him to isolate and that's the way his life continued until one little girl figured out that the Grinch had value. The Grinch had value. Even this one person has value enough to be pursued. And so for all of you for whom Christmas is difficult, holiday seasons are difficult, because it reminds you of the relationships you've lost, you can still acknowledge what you have because there is value assigned to you by the God of the universe who considered you to be of so much worth that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, to welcome you into his forever family. And if you're sitting here thinking about the people you don't have, then can you do this? Can you take a look around? Can you take a look around? Do you realize that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and in this room, you have more in common with the people you are worshiping around than you do with members of your own family who do not know Jesus. It's hard to say, isn't it? But it's so true. Look around. God delights, the Bible says, in putting the lonely in families. That doesn't just apply for orphans. It actually applies for those for whom our family is estranged from us. As I share about this, I think about Pastor Sandy and, and Wiwin, his wife. They lead our church in Indonesia, in Bogor. When Wiwin came to faith in Jesus Christ, she was basically kicked out from her family. But you know what she knew? She knew her family was the body of Christ. She found her family in the body of Christ, even when she was estranged from her own family. And guess what happened? Wewin's family saw that Wewin's faith was sincere and dedicated, and now they even go as far as to celebrate Christmas with Sandy and Wewin. Sandy's faith was a testimony to them because she remained loving, even though the attitudes towards her were completely the opposite. 
Again, it's so easy for us to think about what we don't have. But joy is actually found in recognizing what we do. You know, whenever I feel entitled, and there's a lot to feel entitled about, even in ministry, take a look around. Guys, we're blessed. There are so many people around the country that don't have the access to the resources that we've got here. And I'm mindful, especially on the last day of the year, how this has come. This, what we enjoy right now, is built off the faithfulness and the sacrifice of the people who've gone behind us. And so what do we need to do? We need to make sure that our kids and our grandkids, until Jesus comes back, enjoy the same privileges that we do. But whenever I feel privileged... I tell Mike and Lynn, I say, hey, guys, uh, I need to take a trip, and I'll go on a plane. And it's either to, like, Pastor Sandy or I'll go to Pastor, uh, Pastor Panner. And when I'm with Pastor Panner, I ask him to take me to Graveyard City. It's really close to the church. Graveyard City is basically a city that is built on a graveyard. And Panner has gone around Graveyard City and ministered to people who live, literally, they've built their wooden huts above the tombstones of dead people. And then I crawl into some of their houses, which is no more than six by six in width. And I see the joy in their face. And then all of a sudden I say, thank you, Jesus, for making it possible for me to realize how blessed I am. Listen. Joy comes as we're willing to acknowledge what we don't, uh, what we do have, not focus on what we don't. There are a lot of things that we don't have. But you know what, folks? There are a lot of things that we do. We get the most out of life by thanking God for what we have. What does the Bible say? Count your blessings, name them one by one, and the song continues, and it will amaze you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. God has given you the gift of life. Give yourself the gift of living well by taking a look around and celebrating what you have. Lastly, I think we give ourselves the gift of living well by celebrating joy. Now, that seems rather obvious, but the point here is we give ourselves the gift of living well when we act on what we know to be true. When we act on what we know to be true. Joy is not a feeling, right? Happiness is the feeling. Joy is the circumstance. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is something I get to experience because I live life with God. So I give myself the gift of living well when I actually act on the joy that I have. And the Bible says when I act on joy, the feeling follows. When I act on truth, the feeling follows. When I act lovingly to a, a neighbor or a family friend or even my spouse, even though they're irritating me, the feeling follows. We act and then it follows. And, and I love this scripture, final scripture here, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13. Look at this. Uh, we, we can read this a million times and miss the point, I think. So look at this. But rejoice. In as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, do you see this? Not all of us are going to be in seasons of marveling. We're not going to be in the first part of the Simeon story all of our lives. Sometimes a sword is going to pierce our own soul too. When it does, rejoice. In as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Look at that for a second and ask yourself, what is Peter actually telling these churches in Asia Minor that was suffering? What does he tell them? Look at it. 
Let me help you out here. But rejoice. Action. Celebrate. But I've got nothing to celebrate. Rejoice. Action. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Why? So that you may be overjoyed. Emotion. God has given us the gift of life. We give ourselves the gift of living well when we rejoice in what we have, recognizing who we have it from, and then His glory is revealed. Now, look at this, but rejoice so that you may be overjoyed. Friends, give yourself the gift of living well this year. Rejoice. Celebrate. If you're still going to spend time with family before New Year, celebrate with them. And if they irritate you, bless God for that too. Why? Rejoice in as much as that is your suffering in Christ. And if that's all it is, bless God for that. It could be a whole load worse. Friends, rejoice. We've got so much to be thankful for. And my encouragement to us this year is that we take the Grinch, not simply out of Christmas, but we take the Grinch out of our own lives and we act on the joy that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit given to us because we have received the salvation of our souls. Now what I want to do is I want to invite the, the team uh, to come back and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And, and this song, we sang it, I think it was... Friday evening, um, I think it was, we've done so many Christmas services, I can't remember, um, and, and it's called King of Kings, it's a modern hymn, and I love this hymn, because it, it basically shares the gospel from beginning to end, and as we said the other day, we know that this is where the story starts, right, the Jesus part of the story starts, but we know this isn't where it ends, right, this isn't where it ends, and it actually doesn't end with a cross either, does it, it doesn't end with the resurrection, why doesn't it end with that? Because Jesus ascended. It doesn't end there either. Why doesn't it end there? Because the Spirit descended. Jesus went up for the Spirit of God to descend. It doesn't end there, does it? It actually continues through you and me and will end in that moment when Jesus Christ returns in glory and the glory of Christ is revealed. So I love this. And so I want to wrap up this holiday season by singing this song. But before I do that... I would just like to be able to kind of, they don't know I'm going to do this. I just want to say a huge thank you. And I'd like you to help me do this to not just the people on the stage, but the people behind the scenes. You've got Kathleen, you've got uh, Lynn uh, up in the tech booth. You've got Paul in the sound. We've got so many people in the rooms behind. When we celebrate Christmas, they sacrifice for it. The amount of time and effort that goes in to us coming in and celebrating for an hour, hour and 15 minutes to Craig and Corey go too long, um, actually costs them three, four, or five times as much. So as we get to our feet, can we just say thank you to them and to everyone who basically makes this ministry work?